So we've been talking a lot over the course of the past weeks about restaurants, very particularly at the uh, earlier part of the pandemic where restaurants under no circumstances could be open. The best they could do was uh, curbside service and, uh, you know, they, they relaxed things a bit so you could get a drink and have it delivered or at least uh, placed at the curb. And that's about the best they could do. And only then some restaurants, not all restaurants. And that a restaurant does not make. You you were not going to make money if you were doing that. You were probably going to at least shoot for keeping your head above water, paying your rent, and maybe keeping a couple of your people employed. Now, that is in a, a process of flux because we've moved to the patio model. The patio model is still not a great big profit maker for you. It is the kind of thing where uh, there, there are stories out there of, of companies that manufacture patio furniture thinking, hey, bonanza time, I'm finally going to make a few bucks. And uh, not so because... The, the investment required to buy dedicated patio furniture is not something that in this financial, precarious financial situation, restaurants are prepared to make um, for the long term because it isn't going to be the long term. And uh, in our case, we've got, what, a patio season that lasts at best five months, minus the rain, probably four. And if I'm to be honest, three months are good patio months. That's about it. And and so what most of the restaurants are doing on that particular score is they're moving their inside furniture outside because hey how damaged can it get it's not doing anything anyway and uh, they're hoping for uh, a quick or at least a speedier move to uh, yes you can come inside because that's where the money's going to be spent they're going to have to distance you from the next guy by putting in plexiglass you've got to provide ppes for the servers you've got to probably put in direction rules there's all kinds of things that you're going to have to do and then there comes this other element that i've been informed of i didn't know and i I don't know if if you know that there's no real other, other than the fact that they have tremendous markups as you know on booze like you take a, a, a i don't know a shot of scotch so you drink a, a, a bar scotch single malt that'd be glenfiddich glen glenlivet uh and you're paying eight ten twelve dollars depending on where you're going to get it and you're getting on a good pour an ounce and a half of scotch and if you do the math on the bottle uh, you're you're paying that money for what's worth maybe three dollars. I've never understood that until I found out that they pay for the bottle of scotch what you pay for the bottle of scotch, and then they've got to add service and glassware and dishwashing and all the rest of it that goes into that. So I'm telling a story when I shouldn't be. I've got a guest by the name of Tony A. Alanis. He is the president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association. Tony, what a job you've got. Good morning, Peter. Uh, the industry has been devastated, no doubt about it. Okay, so devastated industry. Explain devastated. Can a majority recover? Can half recover? What are the numbers going to look like when the dust settles? Well, in the past three months, you know, the industry has been shaken up with emotions, uh, wondering how the future will look like. And, and many will not understand that the next, Six months to a year will even be more painful. Most restaurants are coming out of three months without revenues. They'll be facing capacity restrictions, extra costs due to distancing and sanitizing. They're paying deferrals from government loans. And, and, and we're talking about a cash flow business model. Uh, even in the good days, this is a cash flow industry. That's well, it's, it's hand to mouth, Tony. It's, you know, I take in what I take today. I pay my supplier essentially in the next uh, 24, 48 hours, or he doesn't deliver, say, the meat. 
Uh, I pay my staff on a regular basis. We have a tip pool, and uh, if you're not bringing the money in, then nothing's going out. So it, it comes to a dead halt, and when we closed down, it did so immediately. And many might not understand that, you know, the industry runs on thin margins. What that translates to is that, you know, low margins translates to about 97% of all revenues earned by restaurants go back directly to the economy. They go in payroll, they go to supplier sustainment and growth, and, and of course the taxes. It's a unique type of a contribution model. No one else has that type of a model that you basically work day and night very hardworking individuals out there, all these operators, and with very, very razor-thin margins going to your bank. Simple. So are you telling me, Tony, because uh, I think the listeners' ears are perked up here. Uh, most of us don't understand this. You're telling me that a properly operating restaurant uh, in, in normal times, whatever the hell that means anymore, uh, are, are making about 3% net? The average pre-tax profit in Ontario is 3.2%, and it's the lowest than any other province, lower than the Canadian average for the last 15 years. So we have well, to examine I, all, sorry, the go ahead. Chronic, go ahead. All, the, all the chronic expenses that have been incurring to the restaurant model. And this is a crisis, and perhaps you know a crisis might help trying to revitalize the industry by going back and analyzing why is that so. Why is this industry that works very hard is not able to flow dollars to the bottom line? Well, I would always have considered that it must be uh, the ability to run the restaurant at a, at a price level that the market will bear. In other words, if I can if I can operate, let's take an expensive steakhouse. If I can get sixty bucks for a steak, and there are plenty of places in town that are charging sixty bucks for a steak, I'm going to get it. But if I look at the same names, because some of them are, are franchises or equivalent uh, one-off. Um, operators in other cities they're able to get 70 and 80 i'm not going to pay that but there are people any of people out there who are why can't we get that kind of money in in this corridor and further uh why is it that the lcbo which the largest uh, client pool for the lcbo is the restaurant business why are they not getting a break on what we ordinary citizens pay on that bottle of scotch or the bottle of wine or whatever it happens to be i walk in i pay say 11 dollars for a bottle of wine they pay the same 11 dollars. yeah that, that's a very good question but back to the pricing restriction we have a rigid price elasticity model and our biggest competitor are the grocery stores yet we make decisions to support the grocery stores. They're, they're, you don't need to pay taxes, HST, when you buy your groceries. They're more open now to supplying them with selling beer, wine, yet the industry has not received anything that would change their model. Now, the LCBO, there's a complex uh, layers of tariffs and taxes in every bottle a consumer or a licensee purchases. And, and in a, a normal business model, the more you buy, the more volume you buy, the, the price goes down. Why is not happening here with the LCBO prices? We are competing with government type of business. Uh, and, and, and we are asking, uh, as, as governments are, are searching for ways to support the industry, we feel the price being brought down and we're asking for a 20% reduction is a lifeline that is well-targeted, it is measurable, 
It is tangible and it will have positive impact. There's no sense throwing money out that do not have impact. This one does. And okay, so you want a 20% net discount on liquor and spirits um, from the LCBO compared to mainstream Peter Sherman goes in and buys a bottle. Absolutely. There are about 22,000 full-service restaurants in Ontario. Around 17,500 are licensees that will be supported by this decision. Okay, so I got an email while you were talking from a listener who says that uh, by complaining, you're just trying to buck a trend. The The industry is what it is, and it's enough belly aching from you. Uh, we're all in this together or we're not, and you don't. You seem to feel like you're not. I don't agree with him. Do you? Absolutely not. I mean, this industry uh, has 300, over 300,000 employees right now that are laid off, and we need to bring them back. Number one, we are a service industry. We are a people industry because we hire many workers. And as I said, 97% of all revenues go back to the economy. Okay. Tony Alanis, I wish you well because I, like everybody else, want to get back in and do business with all of the people who are members of your association, and that's the restaurants across the province of Ontario. And I'm talking about sitting in a seat, feeling comfortable, and being served. Thank you for joining us, and have a great weekend. Thank you, Peter. You too. All right. That's Tony Alanis. He's president and CEO of the Ontario Restaurant Hotel and Motel Association. And uh, you heard some of the problems. Some of you obviously don't agree, and some of you do. I think uh, I I feel a great deal of compassion for people, especially the one-offs who own restaurants. When we come back, going to talk about uh, a real serious push. This has come up before, but now it's a serious push because it's a money talks situation about the Washington Redskins and their main sponsor saying, you're going to change the name. Stay tuned. We'll talk about it.